This is Mystic Takeaway, dishing up extraordinary real-life stories to inspire wonder and nourish the soul. I'm Elisa Graff. My guest today is Dutch human rights activist Mark Froyles. An injury at birth left Mark paralyzed on the right side of his body. He shares the spiritual lessons and support he received to help him heal the physical and emotional wounds of his condition. Good to have you with us. So Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am uh, Mark Vruls. I live in Breda, the Netherlands. I was born 43 years in Belgium. Actually, my parents uh, didn't have a lot of money uh, at that time because their careers were just starting. So they thought, let's do the labor in Belgium because it's a lot cheaper. But there, something very peculiar happened. It didn't go according to plan because the gynecologist wasn't there yet. So my mother was instructed to push and then she was instructed to hold back the baby. And there, something happened to me and I think is karmically related. Because of that incident, I got oxygen deficiency and I came out with paralysis on my right side of my body. So there, my journey really started because I had to go through uh, a lot of physiotherapy to correct the paralysis on the right side of my body. And from infancy all the way up to... To 15, 16 years old, I believe. What it did to me was that from an early age on, I knew that I had to work on myself, not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally, because people saw me and I was different. I was wearing gear to correct my foot. I was walking on my on the ball of my foot, so I was not placing my heel correctly. My hand was not working well, it was not open. Some people could see that there's something wrong with this guy. So this led to, to quite extensive bullying by yeah. the children around me from a very early age. I think it started materializing when I was like around four to five years old and went on quite an extensive period of around, let's let's not overstate it, let's say more than 15 years. I was bullied quite extensively. So what it did to me was the following. I had to go inwardly in order to protect myself from the bullying, but also to, to seek what I was deeply, what I was inside was not this body i found out i was not this material thing which is called a body i was much more than that i found out on a very uh, early age and so what it created was my own world to deal with the the pressure uh, of going to school and to make sure that it didn't have a big impact on me but i created my own little world in which i really felt that something bigger than myself was guiding me. But but the, the, the hard thing was, my parents at that time were not totally equipped to see what was going on with me. My mom always says, Marcus was not talking a lot. Well, I was very intuitive, so I kept it to myself. 
And they were not seeing quite what was going on with me, what the suffering inside was about. But uh, the lucky thing for me was that my grandmother of my mother's side, who's also a Sagittarius like me, she saw it. She saw from a very early age on that the child was suffering, going through a difficult period. And she acknowledged that. And she gave me a reason to be who I was. She saw who I was from a deeper perspective. And what she did was, uh, when I was five years old or something, she gave me a very big teddy bear. And this teddy bear was my protector. That's sweet. That's very sweet. And I also very, that was a truth. I I needed some friends. And so this very big teddy bear gave me this, 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 this protective notion of, she gave it to me, first of all. She saw that uh, I was struggling. And I saw that big teddy bear as a protector. But not only that, also as a friend. But then, as life uh, went on, more and more information came to me. I always had the feeling that I was guided uh, from a deeper perspective, some kind of force surrounding me that was very sensitive about energies and about all kinds of things, life after death, whatnot. But I felt I have to go deeper and deeper, deeper to look inwardly what the truth is of life and then when i was in the south of um, germany it's called the black forest we were there on a vacation i was around 10 years old and i was was kiting it was a very nice kite i had was made in the form of a bird of prey and i was sitting on my own in this big cornfield and in the south of germany in the black forest kiting with myself and I saw the rabbits close to me and I saw the birds of prey coming to the kite and it was just such a epiphany for me because I was so in tune with everything around me time was not an issue anymore it felt that I was one with everything and that was the the big epiphany for me I told myself I am not this body I am a soul and incarnation. The reason why I, I get emotional uh, because of what I'm just telling you is that all the pressure of succeeding in life and not succeeding in life and all the, the bullying going on, it didn't matter anymore because I found myself at that moment in time and I could not be touched by anybody because I, I found out that I had a deeper core and that the world was way bigger than people make you believe it is. And that the force which supports life is always there. And from that time on, I got more bold also. It was around 10 when I said to myself, I am not this body, I'm a soul and incarnation. Yeah. And this has really changed the whole perspective. And this made me go on this deeper travel on the spiritual path. And when I was around 16 years old, I had a very deep talk with my grandmother who gave me that big bear that was the mother of my mother. 
and I was sitting there. I, I was my physical body was corrected. I was uh, very good at sports. I did uh, tennis. I did football. I could do anything I wanted because I believed in myself, you know. And then we sat in her kitchen, and she told me this story because she was a spiritual seeker herself. She wanted to find out what the truth was about life, what we were doing on this planet, and what kind of religion suited her, because she was Catholic. I was raised also Catholic, but not dogmatic at all. But she was not very common in that time, in her generation, that people questioned religion was Catholic or nothing. And she found out that Buddhism was the religion that suited her most. But she told me this incredible story that she read in a local newspaper. There was this uh, hitchhiker around, uh, because she lived very near to Maastricht, the south of the Netherlands, a very beautiful old city of the Netherlands. That's where all my family is from. My family comes from the area of Maastricht. And we also have a bit of Belgium vibe going on, a bit of Belgium blood. But she lived across the border from Maastricht. And she told me this amazing story, which appeared in a newspaper. I was 16 years old at that time, and that was early 90s. And that newspaper talked about a hitchhiker who was hitchhiking at the uh, big highway A2. In Europe. In in Maastricht. Mm -hmm. And this hitchhiker was stepping into cars. And then the drivers would say, this hitchhiker, this guy has such an amazing aura. And he knows everything about my life. And he is all about love and about peace and about happiness. And he knows these amazing details about my life. And he lifts up my spirit, and it's great. And if he gets out of the car, his body just simply disappears. And my, my grandma was talking about that story in the newspaper. And I was just struck by lightning. I, but I said to myself, what is happening here? It's just, I was struck by, by lightning, but, but I was not thinking. The only thing that happened was that my heart got blown away. I felt this, and at, at this now I feel it too. This shower of energy came through yeah. right into my heart. And I said to myself, this guy, because it happened a lot around that time. This actually is a story that also took place in the United States. Yeah. Around that time in the 90s, there were a lot of similar stories in various parts of the United States where a hitchhiker was picked up. And then what would inevitably happen is that the driver would be so stunned because after he or she had picked up the hitchhiker and the hitchhiker spoke from the back seat and told them things they were amazed by, and then uh, they looked in the rear view mirror and they hadn't stopped the car and the person had disappeared. And the driver would be so stunned, he'd be pulled over on the side of the road <laughs> and a policeman would come by to say, are you okay? And he would tell the story, this is what happened, I can't believe this. And this was happening quite a lot in the United States also at the same time. Which is amazing because it has opened so many hearts. 
um, so many doors. And for me, I was so struck by this moment. My whole heart was filled with love. And I told myself, this guy will be very important in my life path. This guy is a messenger of God. And my grandmother set me on the path of this messenger of God. And I knew it would happen. I knew he would come again to my life. And then when I was 20, 21, I finally succeeded to finish my high school. It was very difficult for me, the whole process of going through school because I didn't like it there and, and what I thought was not very relevant I thought so but I had to move on and I had to finish stuff and then I became a student in law so when I entered law school I met, met a guy who I describe as a soulmate that has been proven a lot of times now that is true and this soulmate i was early 20s i think 22 23 the soulmate brought in this book he was in a library and he sensed that book was of great importance to himself but also to me and he pulled that book out of the library intuitively and he brought that book over to me and <laughs> that was a book by benjamin Cram. And the first time we, I looked at that book, I was just blown away. I, I was telling him, this can't be true. Because everything, every piece of the puzzle I was thinking myself is just put together by this book. So how, how on earth could that be possible? So I said to him, we have to find out who these people are, this, the Sharon Foundation, what, what is it about? Because the publisher was the Sharon International Foundation. We went to Amsterdam, where one of the main headquarters is, and we talked to people there about what we have experienced reading the book and what it did to us. It opened our hearts. And then as time elapsed, it became apparent the guy my grandmother was talking about was the not hitchhiker. The, the hitchhiker. hitchhiker. Hitchhiker was not somebody who was there just for no reason. Because I thought intuitively, this this guy must be a very important messenger of God. And then it turned out that this hitchhiker is none other than Maitreya himself. Because this whole thing. We found out that this article uh, written uh, where, where my grandma talked about was published in, in the Sharon International magazine and that this guy was for real. So the whole story that I felt intuitively when I was 16 years old, that this, this guy was very important and then he played a big role in my life, turned out to be true. From that time on, I was part of share international because i knew that that was one of my sole missions in life it was to tell people about this story participate what is it that you did for share international when i was early 20s i became part of the transmission meditation group in amsterdam because i had a railroad card which was for free because i was a student you know so I studied in, in, in Tilburg, with, uh, which is in the south, 
and I, I went to Amsterdam two times a week to do transmission meditation, which is this very powerful form of meditation which was given to Benjamin Krem through one of his masters. And it became very apparent to me that this transmission meditation is something so powerful, which is so guided and so transformative, which opened my heart even more. And I was doing this with this soulmate I was talking about. We also studied in uh, at Tilburg University. So we went together for a couple of years and it was a great location. We enjoyed our, ourselves tremendously. And then I moved in 2008 to Leiden. They have a very famous university too. And from that I created my own transmission meditation group in Leiden. I don't know if it's still active but it was was there for a long time. And then I moved from Leiden to Breda, and there I have created my own uh, transmission meditation group. So basically I started doing transmission meditation groups, hosting them uh, since 2008. And I also, from the beginning, did the outreach work, basically creating lectures and making sure that People got the information on fairs, and for me that was and still is a great way of service. I hope when you know that the situation is is a bit difficult now with Corona, with meeting people on fairs and stuff. The outreach has changed a bit to Zoom. I believe still that you know personal one-on-one contact works very well with people to tell them about the ageless wisdom teachings which are basically the cornerstone of how evolution on this planet works this played a major role in my life up until now and i'm so fortunate that i came across this information and one anecdote i wanted to share with you is that when i was part of the share international meditation european conferences On one of those in 2006, I came out of the transmission meditation and it was around uh, 11.30 at night and we come together yearly in this magnificent monastery, a very pleasant, also energetic wise, very pleasant spot to stay. And I was overlooking the monastery garden and next to me were sitting two Dutch ladies and were, were just relaxing, taking a pause. And then I told him, I for a long time believe in the realness of the Space Brothers and the UFOs. And I said, I want to see those, those spacecrafts crafts, because I believe in them for a long time, but I have never seen them. The Space Brothers visit our planet for countless millennia, I believe. And, and there's also very big evidence to prove that. And I told them, when are they going to appear? Because I'm sitting here and I'm waiting for them. And one of these ladies saying to me, just wait five minutes, Mark. And I know the date was, I think it was the 22nd of September, 2006, 11.30. And then I was just blown away. After five minutes, I saw them coming in to spacecraft. 
two how spacecraft. Could, how, could, how could you tell they were spacecraft? What was the evidence to you that gave it away? These, these disc-shaped craft were, which is not of metal, made out of metal, but they were etheric. And they were just circling around each other, two to, two to three hundred meters above the ground. And then I felt this tremendous energy coming out of these spacecraft. You feel energy coming from them. And what, the, the, what kind of energy? Is, is it energy you mean from the craft itself or from the inhabitants? I, I, I believe it's from the inhabitants that I was not receiving any form of telepathic messages, but it was more that, that I felt that they were saying, we are here, we are good people, and we are just coming to say hello. That was really the message I got from them. But then they came in and they dispersed this tremendously incredible light around the garden. And I was, what is this? I need to tell my friends about this. So I rushed into one of the bedrooms where, where one of my friends was sleeping. He was already sleeping. But I woke him up. I was so enthusiastic about it. And I said, you need to come outside now. There are two great looking UFOs hanging above our monastery garden. And then he came out and then uh, my other soul friend uh, joined. And then we were looking at these amazing spacecraft for for five or six hours. It was just... Really? It was just tremendous. Five or six hours? Yeah. And we were just with, I think, at most with 20 to 30 people. But they all saw it. It was just amazing what happened. And the light which was dispersed by these crafts. So refined, so pure, this light. But we, we don't know this kind of light. But it, it, it's etheric in its purity. And together with this talk with my grandmother, which was an epiphany at 16 years, uh, together with this kite in the south of Germany, this was a great, joyful, tremendous thing to experience. Because what it does to you, it's larger than your consciousness. It makes you part of a larger consciousness. It transcends you. And that's what makes life so beautiful to me, to my mind, is that we are surrounded by people who are so incredibly evolved and so in tune with their own souls and on such a different level of consciousness. I consider myself not by a long shot enlightened, but I could feel they, they are raising the frequency of yourself. You be, you are becoming part of a story which is larger than your soul because you intuitively feel that they are souls in incarnation, that they display all the qualities of their soul. And, and this is so moving to me that we have the chance and the ability to connect with these spiritual beings, if it's the, the beings coming from other planets within our solar system, our the space brothers, as I call them, or if it's the avatars coming from another solar system who are here to raise our frequency, or if it's our own spiritual hierarchy with these 
amazingly involved, enlightened human beings. They are here and they always make sure that we raise our frequency to go into the next level of life. And what I'm just telling the people maybe listening in is that we are part of a way bigger and larger consciousness that everything is connected with each other, that the whole universe is connected and that we always can connect with these great beings and that they protect you and that they guide you along your life uh, path and that life is worth living. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you have to overcome struggles in your own life. But they have shown me time after time that they are here for me. One time I was having an exam, it was in the year 2000. And I'm a dreamer. It was very early in, in, in the morning. I'm not a morning person whatsoever. So I was not paying attention uh, because I was putting my bike. I, I had to wait because the traffic was coming through the cars. But I put my bike somehow where the cars were driving. I was not paying attention. So it was in the year 2000, I think just before I became part of Cher International. And I was hit by a car pretty violently. Oh no, how old were you then? I was 22 at that time. I was hit by that car. And the millisecond I was hit, it's just amazing. I was put into this cocoon of love and peacefulness, which is undescribable. And at that moment, I felt a great force was protecting me from harm. Time you, stop. You, you actually remember it. You still remember what happened exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, some sometimes we have these accidents and everything happens so fast, we don't even know what happens. But you remember the details. Hmm? Yes, it's, it's so... It's also life-changing. Because I knew from that millisecond that the car hit me. Because eyewitnesses told me that it was thrown over the car. It was, it was a big hit. I was hanging in the air. I was completely at peace in that millisecond. Completely at peace like a womb, a protective womb yeah. was surrounding me. And I knew, and then boom, I hit the ground. I was completely relaxed, not shaken by anything. Nothing. You didn't, you didn't get hurt. Nothing. You didn't get hurt at all. Nothing, nothing at all. My bike was totally destroyed. It was a big crash on the ground. Nothing happened to me. I got my bike out of the way, went to the lady. I said, I'm very sorry that I caused you so much trouble but i was so relaxed about it and then i thought to myself some consciousness some protective consciousness made sure that i was not majorly hurt so i wrote a story to share international magazine and it's called happy landing <laughs> and it's about what happened in, uh, there and I was told that at that moment, the master who's called Jesus was apparently capable of helping me out with the happy landing. Amazing. <laughs> and and I, I, I intuitively, because I was not aware of the information 
back then because it was right before I, I joined Share International. I knew intuitively that very big force enveloped me and making yes. sure that landing was happy. And, and th these are just things that, that, that keep on happening. And one more, more anecdote is uh, I was with my, one of my soul friends in, in, in Italy to do voluntary work. It was in 2005. It was at the, around the time Katrina hit. I was in Italy uh, yes, yes. doing uh, voluntary work. It was a church. It needed to be cleaned. But also the pastor there, he was taking care of illegal refugees. And I later became really involved in helping refugees, which is also one of my passions. But one day we went to Bologna and we were sitting on this big square there beautiful square with our group of volunteers and we were talking about the life of Jesus and uh, together with my soul friend and we were stating that Jesus was not married because he had a big mission and and he had no time to be married he, he needed to do a lot of work but when we were talking about Jesus and his mission I immediately saw this very strangely looking guy. He stumbled in front of me. And then he, he became part of the group. He sat down in the midst of a group. And then he just uh, continued talking as if nothing happened. He became part of the group. And then he said, Jesus' mission continues. And he's here right now. And he's doing, he's doing amazing uh, work. And th this guy was just... I knew this is somebody you didn't know. This this is somebody you didn't know. It's just a, no, but he, I he but I came up. he came up and we immediately knew that this guy was very special and that he was a master in disguise and he was talking about everything because he said that he was an architect and he said everything I can draw is created by God and. He was, he was telling us about this biblical story and about Jesus, that this mission continues until now. And I, when I looked into his eyes, he, his eyes were turning. Just he seemed like a normal person, though, in general, right? He was eccentric, but he struck but, you. He struck everybody as being just a normal, solid yes, person. Yeah. Yes, but what comes out of his mouth was very extraordinary. And then he uh, said his name was Drioli and he created this amazing drawing for me, which was just out of the ordinary. And then we said goodbye and he said, you will see me again, which is just beautiful. And many of those things happened. One time I was with my former girlfriend. We were traveling by train and this guy was coming into the train and he was carrying a bunch of flowers but it was in the midst of, of winter it was december and these were lilies of the valley but they, they, they don't grow in in in, in winter time but the, this guy he had nails through the top of his shoes <laughs> which is very odd and he sat across from us and he was holding the, the, these flowers with his, his arms stretched and then my, my, my former girlfriend told me lilies of the valley they are a symbol of love and then we got out of, the, out of the train we rushed down the stairs because we were very tired and we wanted to go home soon and believe it or not we knew intuitively when this guy was entering the train that he was special and she was signaling me, oh, that guy is special. I was signaling her, 
oh, that guy is special. And we needed to watch him. And then we watched him very carefully. He stayed in inside of the train. And then we rushed downstairs. And then at the end of the rush downstairs, do you know who, who, who crossed us? He walked in front of you at the bottom of the stairs. Yes, whistling. <laughs> so he was at two locations. Two places at once. <laughs> two places at once. And what was the, the story of that? The that, meaning of that? That love is everywhere. That, oh. that's what, that's that was, what the, message was, you took. That was yes. the message you took from it. I see yes, that. and then a couple of months later, I was not feeling well at all. That was, I think, in, in early 2009. I was struggling a bit. I was not feeling well. I just finished my studies in 2008 after a long, hard journey because I didn't like it at all. It was still winter time. My mood was low. And I had this funny feeling came up to me. What it was like to just step under a train. Oh, no. But I was not planning on, on committing suicide or something. But it was just a very funny, a very strange feeling coming up. And then I looked to the left. I was still on the train station. And this same guy comes up to me. Who I saw... A few months earlier, inside of the train. With the lilies of the valley. With the lilies of the valley. And he was presenting himself like a, you know, homeless person, you yeah? And then he was trying to find a bottle on the rails. Oh, my gosh. But I was having this funny feeling of jumping in front of the train. But what he was doing? And then I said to him, you must not pick up the bottle. Because the train is coming, because the bottle is on the rails. You must not do that. So what he was showing me in a very funny way was, Mark, you're crazy. Your thoughts are crazy. You must not jump in front of the train because then life stops. Because he, he showed to me it's, it's dangerous what you're doing, picking up the bottle in front of the train. So he was, he was coinciding with my thoughts again showing me that I must leave this uh, strange, crazy thought. And then it never occurred to me again. Because he, he, he made me see that what I was thinking was strange and that life is worth living for. And I believe this guy was not some ordinary guy. That he was the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was in, in two places at the same time. And, um, he came to the rescue because sometimes you feel blue and you, you feel that life has no worth sometimes you feel that and sometimes you feel dark and then they lighten and brighten up your day and then this thought never occurred to me again never nice. ever nice life guides you it's it's like a it's like a river you must not swim against the river you must become part of that river to see that life is a life stream and that it carries you along. And that's because the difficulty I have, I think, with my makeup is that I place myself out of the realm of God. I place myself outside of God. I'm doing this uh, unconsciously, 
But the but the result is that I'm not part of God. I'm not part of life. I I uh, place myself outside of the life stream, and as a result of that, I get isolated. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, sometimes my thoughts get dark. Yeah. That it feels like you enter a dark tunnel. Yeah. And then these people they they pull you out of this darkness, and they make you feel part of God again. That's because I really do need to remind myself a lot of times that we are all part of of God and that God works through us. Um, And if I do not make myself aware of that, then I forget it. It's an unconscious process, but that's really what, what it feels like for me. Right. My passion is really human rights. I made it thesis on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. This is one of my passions. I'm very passionate about that conflict. And this got my attention from a very early age on. I believe it was 1987 when the Intifada broke out. And I saw, was was of course around 10, 12 years old, and I saw these young children throwing stones at tanks. Yeah. And I thought, that's a bit of an unequal situation here. <laughs> we must do something about that. Mm-hmm. And that I used that very visual image in my childhood to go to law school and to finish my international law and to create a thesis out of that tremendously unjust uh, situation. So I consider myself as a human rights activist. You can, you, you can really say that. But because of what happened in my life, I really had a lot on my plate. I was traumatized from a very early age on. And this trauma was never really resolved. solved, yeah. uh, resolved, yeah. yes. When I finished my studies, well, a big heavy load fell off my shoulders because I was really struggling with motivation and then I did my master's in international human rights law and then I found my groove but really it was a struggle for me because I do not fit really into the whole educational paradigm Mm -hmm. and I finished my studies and then I worked for a bit and then I had the chance to work for the Dutch Council for Refugees in the Netherlands with refugees. And then really loved the fact that I could combine several things. I could combine my human rights law knowledge with the fact that I love people. I love teaching them. I love talking to them. So the law for people and their very difficult backgrounds, because refugees go through so much, was so beautiful to be part of that because I could interview them about how they left their country, what they did in their country, what their passions were. But I also could use my human interest, because I really love people and I love their stories, to help them psychologically. And and these amazing stories, for a long time, I could do this work at the Dutch Council for Refugees. But then I got a burnout, I think, in 2015. Kind of I intense, just, intense work. Yeah. It's intense work, but it's not only, not only that. It's it's just, I think, my childhood trauma was not resolved that well. 
and I, I needed to stop everything and I've worked on my own process of digesting what has really happened to me from an early on childhood and I'm now I think almost um, done with the recovery from that and I'm now feeling the energy is coming back it can take a long time if you put it under the carpet and don't address it properly then you can you can crash but that's the beauty of life you can work through those things and if you have a big belief in God and big belief in life itself, then you can recover from anything. My life has shown that if you stay positive, if you try to stay happy, you can overcome your handicap, which I did. And you can overcome the fact that people are saying stupid uh, things all the time because they uh, were bullying me a lot. I have forgiven those people, so I have no resentment whatsoever. Challenging things come up in life. But the true power is to stay positive and work through them and to, to never lose hope and faith. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always very nice to share whatever is in your heart, whatever is on your mind, together with uh, somebody who understands and gives room to that. So that really creates a beautiful dimension. When you share stuff together, it becomes uh, more potent, I believe. You've been listening to Mystic Takeaway. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with others. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.